What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Burger Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, April 1st, 2022. Coming up this hour. Peace talks are set to resume between Russia and Ukraine. The second quarter kicks off after a historically bad one for stocks and bonds. Talks of a recession threaten confidence for investors. And Wall Street looks to the March jobs report for the latest reading on the economy. A judge orders New York's Democrat-controlled legislature to redraw the state's congressional districts. Plus, New Jersey Governor Murphy has COVID. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. Overtime in Brooklyn. The Bucks beat the Nets. And yet another injury concern for Mets ace Jacob DeGrom. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak on Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. And good Friday morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. And U.S. stock index futures are higher this morning. And we are coming up to 501 on Wall Street. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. And right now, S&P futures are up about 18 points. Dow futures up 137. And NASDAQ futures are up 52. The 10-year Treasury down 20, 30 seconds. The yield 2.41%. Nathan. All right, Karen. We'll have more on the markets in a minute. But first, we start in Ukraine. Peace talks with Russia are set to resume today. These negotiations will be by video link. Russia says two Ukrainian military helicopters have made a strike across the border, hitting a Russian oil tank facility. Amy Morris has the latest from our Bloomberg 991 newsroom in Washington. Kiev has not confirmed the strike in Russia, but did say its forces retook several villages in the Kherson region to the south. This, as President Biden says, Vladimir Putin may have detained some of his own advisors. He seems to be self-isolating. And there's some indication that he has um, fired or put under house arrest some of his advisors. Meanwhile, the United Nations says relief convoys are unable so far to reach Mariupol. But Russia says it will open a humanitarian corridor there today. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Amy, thank you. Well, China is also in focus this morning. European leaders are warning Beijing about involvement in the war. And we go live to London and get the latest with Bloomberg's Ewan Potts. Good morning, Ewan. Good morning, Karen and Nathan. The European Commission's president says China has a special responsibility to demand that Russia respects international law and to defend Ukraine's sovereignty. That's the message that Ursula von der Leyen will deliver to Beijing today at a virtual summit expected to be dominated by Russia's war. Europeans are expected to tell China that any help to Moscow to avoid sanctions or to supply weapons will result in severe consequences. Live in London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Ewan, thanks. Let's turn back to markets now and check out oil. It's heading for its biggest weekly loss almost two years. Checking prices now, NYMEX crudes down a half percent or 48 cents at $99.84 a barrel. Brent is at $104.54. All this after the White House ordered an unprecedented release from the strategic reserves. Democratic Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee says it's a good first step. 
I don't think by itself it solves the problem, but it's a step. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see us do a couple other things, uh, but this is a step in the right direction. People need relief at the pump, and this will make a difference in terms of the prices they're seeing for everything. Congressman Dan Kildee also supports temporary lifting of the federal and state gas tax. He spoke with our Washington correspondent Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the program weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. War, inflation, and the lingering impact of the pandemic made the first quarter a historically rough one for investors, Nathan. And more than $3 trillion were erased from bond and equity values in the period. Megan Hornman, chief investment officer at Verdance Capital Advisors, sees the current situation as a buying opportunity. We are also looking at some of the areas that are getting beaten down the most. You know, some of the growth areas that got hit really bad in January and February. We did put some money to work there, thinking that over the long run that they had been unfair really um, pushed lower because of what's going on with interest rates as well as the, the war with Russia and Ukraine. Megan Hornman with Verdant's Capital Advisor says earnings season will be a key for future market action. Well, questions are swirling about what earnings will look like, Karen, and also whether a recession is coming. Citigroup Global Chief Economist Nathan Sheets says the odds of one are significant. Globally, uh, it's around a third. Uh, the geopolitical situation, the energy situation, is very severe. I think in the United States, we are insulated a notch. When I think about kind of the global situation, coupled with the Federal Reserve potentially hiking very rapidly, maybe one in four over the next 18 months. It is it is significant. Citigroup Global Chief Economist Nathan Sheets made the comments on Bloomberg's Balance of Power. Catch the program weekdays at noon Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and Television. Well, Nathan, we get more clues about the economy later this morning with the release of the March jobs report. The median forecast calls for 490,000 new jobs and an unemployment rate of 3.7 percent. We get more from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Analysts expect March was another strong month of job growth, although barring a major surprise, the numbers may not make a whole lot of difference to the Fed. Policymakers have all but said they're in line to raise the nation's benchmark lending rate by half a percentage point on May 4th. Nevertheless, they will feel better if they see a lot of Americans going back into the labor force. That would ease pressure on wages and, therefore, on inflation. That's particularly true for manufacturing. Companies have struggled to find factory workers, leading some to turn away business. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Mike, thanks. Let's turn to corporate news now with a focus on the world's largest retail site. The push to unionize at Amazon is growing. Let's get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Nathan. The upstart Amazon labor union in Staten Island is closer to forming. Workers who want to organize are leading by more than 350 votes out of about 2,600 tallied. That count will continue today. Meantime, Amazon warehouse workers in Alabama voted to reject a union in a tight race yesterday. But the National Labor Relations Board says about a quarter of the votes are challenged and will need to be reviewed. Those could potentially change the outcome. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. And in early trading this morning, we're seeing shares of GameStop moving higher, up 14.5%. The video game retailer plans to ask shareholders for approval of a stock split in the form of a dividend. That mirrors recent moves from Amazon, Alphabet, and Tesla. Futures this morning are higher. S&P futures up about 16 points. Dow futures up 124. NASDAQ futures up 43. And straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. 
Mark Aaron, thanks. It's 507 on Wall Street. We're at 58 degrees in Central Park. We have a vehicle fire on the southbound Garden State Parkway near exit 135. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with what else is going on in New York and around the world on this April Fool's Day. Everything's true, of course, Michael. Yes, it is. Thank you very much, Nathan. A judge has ordered New York's Democratic-controlled legislature to redraw the state's congressional and legislative districts after finding they were unconstitutional. Judge Patrick McAllister said in a ruling that maps redrawing the state's congressional districts were gerrymandered to benefit Democrats. Judge McAllister gave lawmakers until April 11th to try again. If their new maps failed to pass muster in the courts again, the judge said he would order the state to pay for a court-approved expert to redraw the maps. The NYPD says a 12-year-old boy was killed by gunfire as he was eating in a parked car in Brooklyn with two family members, one of whom was shot and wounded. Assistant Chief Michael Kemper said the boy was shot multiple times and pronounced dead at the scene. A preliminary investigation reveals that the three pulled over in the car to eat some food when shots were fired that penetrated their vehicle. Kemper said a 20-year-old woman in the driver's seat was taken to the hospital and is expected to recover. An 8-year-old girl in the back seat was unhurt. New York City Mayor Eric Adams also at the news conference stressed the importance of getting guns off the streets. The question I continue to ask, what about the innocent people? What about people that are sitting in their cars and they're shot and killed? We have so much about those who are fighting, but when are we going to start fighting for the innocent people of this city? Mayor Adams says we need everyone to help us in this senseless violence. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy has tested positive for COVID-19 and will isolate for five days. A spokesperson says Murphy is asymptomatic and feeling well, but will cancel all events for now. Most New Yorkers who worked from home during the pandemic plan to cut their time in the office by nearly half and spend less money in the city annually. According to Stanford economics professor Nicholas Bloom, the average New York City office worker would slash annual spending in the city by more than $6,700, down from an estimated 12500 before the pandemic. At the conference of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, Bloom said the remote work pushed could cost New York between 5 and 10% of its city center population. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. All right, Michael. Thank you. Coming up to 510 on Wall Street, it's time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Happy Friday, John Stashauer. Uh, thanks, Nathan. Originally, the plan was for Jacob deGrom to spend the last day of March on the mound at City Field, pitching opening day for the Mets. Of course, opening day pushed back a week after the lockout, so deGrom instead was doing some long tossing in Port St. Lucie, and he felt some tightness in his shoulder, and every Mets fan had the same thought. Here we go again when deGrom pitches. He's the best there is, but so often he doesn't pitch. Missed the second half of last season with an elbow injury. He's likely headed for an MRI. Overtime in Brooklyn, Milwaukee topped the Nets 120-119. to 119. Giannis Suntecumpo scored 44 points. Kevin Durant had 26, Kyrie Irving 25. Islanders beat Columbus 5-2. The Devils lost in Boston 8-1. The last NIT game at the Garden, at least for a while, they are now going to move the tournament around to other cities. Xavier topped Texas A&M in a game with 17 lead changes. 73-72. Women's Final Four starts tonight in Minneapolis. The men tomorrow in New Orleans. Four days after coaching St. Peter's in the NCAA Elite Eight, Shaheen Holloway introduced as the new coach at Seton Hall. Hope you guys are ready to work. Hope you guys are ready to work. 
Because that's what I'm about. I'm about work, about hard work. No shortcuts, no nothing. Hope you guys are ready to work. And I know I watch this team throughout. I know what this team can do. So after this meeting, after this press conference, the first thing will be meet with you guys to understand what it's going to take to be played for me. Understand the tradition of Seton Hall University. And he's a Seton Hall alum. All of Holloway's St. Peter's players attended the presser in South Orange. They gave their former coach a standing ovation. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? All right, John, thank you. Right now, S&P futures are up 15 points. Dow futures up 122. NASDAQ futures are higher by 44 points as we get ready for the first trading day of the second quarter. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 11-3 weather. Partial sun today with a high near 60 degrees. It'll be probably mostly sunny mid-50s tomorrow. Chance for a few showers by Sunday. Otherwise, more clouds than sun and highs in the low 50s. Right now, 58 degrees in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. European stocks and U.S. stock index futures are rising as investors evaluate the economic outlook amid moderating oil prices, tightening Federal Reserve monetary policy, and Russia's war in Ukraine. Europe's stock 600 is gaining after its worst quarter since the pandemic bear market, while technology shares fall. U.S. stock index futures are higher. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up 15 points. Dow futures up 124. NASDAQ futures up 42. The DAX in Germany is little change. Ten-year Treasury down 18.30 seconds, yield 2.40%. They yield on the two-year 2.38%. NYMEX crude oil is up half percent or 57 cents at $100.86 a barrel. COMEX gold is down three quarters of a percent or $14.50 at 19.39.50 an ounce. The euro 1.1052 against the dollar. British pound 1.3127. The yen's at 122.44 and bitcoins lower down 1.4% at 40 $5,110. And today we are watching for the March jobs report at 8.30 Wall Street time. And Eurozone inflation accelerated to another all-time high. March consumer prices surging 7.5% from a year ago, up from 5.9% in February. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Russia claims Ukrainian forces have attacked a fuel depot across the border inside Russia. If confirmed, it would be the first Ukrainian an airstrike on Russian soil since the war started. Meanwhile, Ukrainian authorities say Russian troops have left the heavily contaminated Chernobyl nuclear site. It comes as Russia confirms video talks will resume today with Ukraine video links. The European Union will seek China's assurances that it won't assist Russia in circumventing economic sanctions leveled over the invasion of Ukraine at an annual summit today. In the NBA, the Nets lost. In the NHL, the Bruins put a what, for, and why whipping on the Devils. 8-1, the Islanders won. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts, more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg Nathan. That's not an April Fool score, is it, Michael? No, not at all. Yeah, for the uninitiated, 8-1 is rather lopsided in hockey. All right, thank you very much for that. It's coming up to 520 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak, and it signs that the uh, tables may be turning in the war in Ukraine. Let's get the Washington perspective now more than a month since the Russian invasion. Bloomberg government reporter Emily Wilkins joins us now from the nation's capital. Emily, good morning. As we heard, uh, re- re- 
Russia is now saying that uh, Ukraine has actually targeted an oil facility in its territory, the first cross-border uh, action in this war. What's the White House assessment of how things are going against Russia? I think we're definitely going to learn a little bit more about this as, you know, Washington continues to to wake up and see reports about these helicopters making this really rare cross-border move and to attack an oil storage facility. Um, I think really at this point you have seen wide-ranging bipartisan support on behalf of Ukraine, that Ukraine is the victim here, that they were the one attacked, and that they're doing everything that they need uh, to sort of keep uh, keep their people safe and, and keep going as a, as a country and as a democracy. Um, but definitely this will be something to watch throughout the day, exactly what the response here is uh, and how, if at all, this might change uh, requests for aid, requests for weapons. Um, so right now, the Biden administration is considering that half billion uh, to Ukraine in funding and additional aid. Um, that would be humanitarian as well as military. And we're seeing Congress continue to discuss sanctions on Russia as well. So definitely still a lot of activity in Washington in support of Ukraine. And it's been very interesting, Emily, as well, to hear President Biden get even more candid about how he thinks things are being perceived by Russian President Vladimir Putin. This idea that the president may be self-isolated, may be misled by his own advisors. What's the advantage for President Biden to put out this kind of speculation as he himself terms it? about how Putin is perceiving things. Sure, and, and I do want to just note here that the president did say that he didn't want to put too much stock in it at this time because we don't have that much hard evidence that these advisors are now under house arrest. Uh, but it really kind of shows this isolation of Putin. And it would suggest, if it is correct, that perhaps there have been some cracks within Putin's inner circle, which was the goal of sanctioning some of these oligarchs and other people that were supposedly close with Putin. I mean, the idea of for things like that is that by hitting people close to Putin, then they will put pressure on Putin to either change course or, you know, potentially take other actions. And so I think at this point, that's kind of the impression that the White House wants to give. It is coming at a point where there also has been reporting that a number of oligarchs have not been sanctioned in Russia and that the sanction system is not perhaps as strong as it could be, that there's not a ton of coordination between who's being sanctioned by which countries. Uh, it, and that's, I, I think this might be sort of a way for the Biden administration to kind of emphasize that these sanctions do but are potentially doing something. And speaking of pressure, I think it's safe to say that the president's feeling some pressure when it comes to inflation with this announcement that there's going to be this pretty huge, though long, slow release from the strategic reserve. Yeah, he is absolutely feeling pressure. There's no question about it from within his own party, which is already facing a very tough midterm. And, you know, Nathan, historically, if if you're the party that's in power, that's saying in the White House, midterms are not good for you and they just get worse, the worse our president's approval rating gets. And part of that is tied to oil and gas prices. Americans do blame Biden more so than they do Putin or big oil companies for this spike in prices. And so this is a way for uh, Biden to try and send the message that he is doing something to be active in it. I think there is a question of exactly how much that might ultimately wind up lowering gas prices. We didn't see huge drops uh, last year when President Biden also tapped the strategic reserves. Uh, so I think that's a, sort of a question about what will happen next. Uh, we also know that uh, in the House and in the Senate, Democrats are starting to look at bills that could potentially reduce the price in oil and start discussing it. Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi yesterday dismissed the idea that there would be a holiday 
from the gas tax uh, because she's worried the savings would not be passed down from oil companies to consumers. But she mentioned potentially a windfall tax. Um, there's been some other things that have been considered in terms of putting pressure on oil companies to lower their prices. Thanks for this, Emily. Good having you on with us. Bloomberg government reporter Emily Wilkins for our 99.1 Studios in Washington, D.C. Just taking a quick look at oil right now. It's starting to move up with uh, NYMEX crude up 7 tenths percent above $100 a barrel now at $100.92 and Brent's at $105.60. Futures moving higher as well as we get ready for the first trading day of the second quarter. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg 11.30 weather. Showers will give way to partial sunshine today with highs near 60 degrees. Mid-50s, partly mostly sunny tomorrow. More clouds than sun Sunday with highs in the low 50s. Right now, showers in 57 degrees in Central Park. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 11.30 to Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 99.1 to Boston. Bloomberg 106.1 to San Francisco. Bloomberg 960 to the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. We are just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. The tables may be turning in the war in Ukraine. Russia says two Ukrainian helicopters hit a Russian oil tank facility. And Ukraine says it's retaken territory in the Kherson and Chernihiv regions. President Biden says the war is not going well for Vladimir Putin. I'm not saying this with a certainty. He seems to be self-isolated, and there's some indication that he has um, fired or put under house arrest some of his advisors. President Biden cautions, though, that there's not much hard evidence on that. Talks between Ukraine and Russia are set to resume by video today. In the meantime, Karen, the White House decision to release U.S. strategic oil reserves has crewed on track for its biggest weekly loss in almost two years. After dropping 7 percent yesterday, oil's up this morning. West Texas Intermediate's higher by 6 tenths percent or 67 cents at $100.94 a barrel. Brent is higher by 9 tenths percent at $105.58. Well, it's the beginning of the second quarter, Nathan. More than $3 trillion were erased from bond and equity values in the first quarter. The S&P 500 dropped 4.9%, while Treasuries fell 5.6%. This morning, futures are higher. S&P futures are up 22 points. Run for markets today. It's all about March jobs, Karen. Economists surveyed by Bloomberg forecast a gain of almost a half million payrolls. They also see the unemployment rate falling to 3.7%. Bloomberg's Vinnie Del Judice has more. America's economy has added about 1.2 million jobs since the start of the year. Job openings totaled 11.3 million in February, just shy of a record. Bloomberg Economics says the labor market has room to run, with payrolls still below February 2020's peak just before the pandemic landed in the U.S. Look at weekly jobless claims. They dropped to a half-century low in mid-March. They had been running in the millions in the early stages of the pandemic. Vinny Del Judice, Bloomberg Daybreak. 
Right, Vinny, thank you. Let's turn to corporate news now with a focus on the world's largest retail site. The push to unionize at Amazon is growing. And Bloomberg's Renita Young joins us live with the latest. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. The upstart Amazon labor union in Staten Island is closer to forming. Workers who want to organize are leading by more than 350 votes out of about 2,600 tallied. That count will continue today. Meantime, Amazon workers in Alabama voted to reject a union in a tight race yesterday. But the National Labor Relations Board says about a quarter of the votes are challenged and will need to be reviewed. Those could potentially change the outcome. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thanks. It's 533 on Wall Street. We're at 57 degrees in Central Park. An accident investigation as the ramp from northbound 440 to northbound Route 9 in Woodbridge closed. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Nathan. The judge has ordered New York's Democratic-controlled legislature to redraw the state's congressional and legislative districts after finding they were unconstitutional. State trial court judge Patrick McAllister said in a ruling that maps redrawing the state's congressional districts were gerrymandered to benefit Democrats. The judge gave lawmakers until April 11th to redo the maps. If the new maps fail to pass muster in the courts again, the judge said he would order the state to pay for a court-approved expert to redraw the maps. A federal judge has overturned most of a restrictive Florida voting law, calling it discriminatory. The judge has ruled that the sections of the law, including restricting voting by mail and the use of drop boxes, were unconstitutional. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. It's an election integrity law. I wouldn't say it's a restriction at all. To have somebody show identification is not a restriction. It's common sense uh, and some of the other things that we did. Governor DeSantis says the state will appeal. Police in New York City need your help after a shooting in Brooklyn last night. And left a 12-year-old boy dead. He was killed while sitting in a parked vehicle with two relatives. Authorities say a 20-year-old woman in the driver's seat was also hit by the gunfire but is expected to survive. Speaking to reporters from the scene, NYPD Assistant Chief Michael Kemper. Another senseless shooting. This time, the shooting involving the death of a 12-year-old child. Assistant Chief Kemper was joined by New York Mayor Eric Adams. We're going to catch this shooter, but as long as we have guns and a revolving door system, we're going to continue to come to crime scenes like this. It's time for it to stop. Mayor Adams says at least 11 rounds were fired at the scene in East Flatbush. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy has COVID. A spokesperson for the governor says Murphy has tested positive for COVID-19 and will isolate for five days. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thanks, Michael. 535 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's John Stanishow. All right, Nathan. It was an elbow injury that prevented Jacob DeGrom from pitching the second half of last season, but the Mets ace has had virtually every injury. His neck, his back, Lat forearm now for a second time. An issue with his shoulder. DeGrom felt tightness while doing some long tossing. So he won't pitch a schedule today. Instead, he'll have an MRI. The hope still is to have DeGrom pitch opening day next Thursday in Washington. The Nationals beat the Mets in Port St. Lucie. The Nats came in 1-10 in, in spring training. They were coming off a loss to the Cardinals where they gave up 29 runs, 15-1 inning. The Yankees lost to the Phillies. 
Milwaukee Bucks last spring won a game seven in Brooklyn in overtime. The Bucks last night won in Brooklyn in overtime, 120 to 119. Giannis Antetokounmpo scored 44 points, his three-pointer forced the OT. He moved past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, became the Bucks' all-time leading scorer. The Nets are in a three-way tie for the eighth, ninth, and tenth spots in the East. Xavier, who just fired its coach, hired a new one for next year, won the NIT. One-point win over Texas A&M at the Garden. The final four tomorrow in New Orleans starts with Kansas and Villanova. Then it's North Carolina versus arch-rival Duke. Mike Krzyzewski coaches a young Duke team. They don't feel pressure. I'm amazed that the try to remember being that age, I, I would have felt pressure. And nervous and maybe a little bit afraid. They're they're not. They are they are not. So I, I admire that in them. Yeah, of course, Coach K's career will end either tomorrow or if not tomorrow, then definitely on Monday. John Stash Hour, Bloomberg Sports, maybe. And what a career it was. Thank you, John. Five thirty seven on Wall Street time for the Tri State Business Report. Here's Bloomberg's Ed Corey. American Express, T-Mobile, and nine other companies have agreed to provide data on gender and race to the New York City Comptroller. That caps off a two-year campaign to get the information from the biggest companies the city invests in, bringing the number of firms agreeing to make the data public to 78. Manhattan's Roosevelt Hotel closed its doors in 2020. Its owner has lost a bid for a court order blocking New York City's new $500 weekly severance mandate, for hotel workers laid off during the pandemic. That's according to a federal court ruling issued Wednesday. New Jersey may actually be financially stronger than it was before the pandemic. S&P has raised its credit rating one notch to A-, the seventh highest from triple B+. came after a boost March 2nd. That was the state's first upgrade since 2005, following years of pension underfunding and public worker benefit increases. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thanks, Ed. It's 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. I'm Steve Potuskin on KNX in Los Angeles. We're talking about growing Senate pushback on Microsoft's planned takeover of Activision Blizzard. I'm Courtney Donahoe on KTRH in Houston. American shale drillers say steel shortages are reason they're not raising output. I'm Gina Cervetti, and for WBBM in Chicago, I'm reporting that First Women's Bank has new partnerships with United Airlines and Microsoft. I'm Caroline Hepke on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We're reporting on the overnight jump in energy prices in the UK that will push millions towards poverty. I'm Ed Corey on WWJ in Detroit. I'm reporting Bain says chip shortages will begin to ease for the auto industry in the second half of the year. And those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. The Biden administration has once again called for higher taxes on affluent households to cover the cost of extra spending. Specifically, the administration's just-released budget plan proposes a new minimum tax of 20% on the full income, including unrealized capital gains of taxpayers with wealth of more than $100 million. This is both radical and demanding. Complex rules will be needed to allow for the 
valuation of assets that can't easily be marked to market and to let taxpayers settle their liabilities over time. In short, this proposal, like the budget as a whole, just isn't happening. That's not entirely surprising. But the administration's continuing failure to wrestle with the implications of its spending ambitions remains disappointing. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash Opinion or O-P-I-N-Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. You can hear Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at O-P-I-N-Go. S&P futures up 21 points, Dow futures up 159, and Nasdaq futures up 71. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Showers will give way to partial sunshine and a high near 60 degrees. Mid-50s, partly mostly sunny tomorrow. We'll have more clouds than sun Sunday. Chance for a few more showers with highs in the low 50s. Right now, 57 in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. And European stocks and U.S. stock index futures are on the rise this morning. Investors evaluating the economic outlook amid moderating oil prices, tightening Federal Reserve monetary policy, and Russia's war in Ukraine. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. On Bloomberg, S&P futures up 19 points. Dow futures up 149. NASDAQ futures up 65. The DAX in Germany up three-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury down 15, 30 seconds. Yield 2.39 percent. Yield on the two year, 2.37%. NYMEX crude oil is up 7 tenths percent or 68 cents at $100.91 a barrel. COMEX gold down 7 tenths percent or $14.30 at $19.39.70 an ounce. The euro, 1.1047 against the dollar. British pound, 1.3127 and against at 122.42. Bitcoin is lower, down more than 1.5% at $45,050. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Talks between Ukraine and Russia will resume today via video link following meetings earlier in the week in Turkey. Meanwhile, Russia said two Ukrainian military helicopters made a rare strike across the border, hitting an oil tank facility in the city of Belgorodro. There is no immediate confirmation from Kiev. President Joe Biden said Russian leader Vladimir Putin may have fired some of his advisors or put them under house arrest. Biden says it is an open question as to whether Putin is fully informed on his military's performance in Ukraine. In the NBA, the Nets lost. In the NHL, the Islanders won. The Bruins told the Devils where to go with an 8-1 win. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg Nathan. All right, Michael, thanks. It's coming up to 549 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak as we get ready for a second quarter, kicking off with a key data release for investors and potentially the Fed. We await the uh, March jobs report. So let's get a preview now from Bloomberg Economics correspondent Michael McKee, joining us from our Bloomberg 99.1 studios in Washington, D.C. Mike, good morning. Thanks for being with us. The uh, estimate? On the terminal, 490,000 is the median from economists and 3.7% for the unemployment rate. I mean, jobs growth has been one of the bright spots for this red hot economy. And it looks like economists think it's going to keep going. 
They do, and the Fed is hoping it keeps going, but what they would like to see is more people coming into the labor force looking for jobs because at this point they're afraid uh, that wages could get into some sort of inflationary spiral if people start to think that inflation is going to be with us for a long time. So they'll be watching the average hourly earnings and the participation rate closely today. Uh, Both are supposed to tick up. Uh, The question is by how much. Now, are we seeing any signs ahead of the release of people getting pulled back to the sidelines just by virtue of the fact that wages are going up? Uh, we are seeing people. The last couple of months, uh, we've seen significant advances in the number of people who are in the labor force. A lot of people, the theory went, were staying home because they were afraid of getting COVID. Now the danger has gone down, it appears. And they were also living off the savings they got from the government stimulus programs, and that has gone away. So a lot of people finding themselves in need of money and going back into work. What is the expectation about what we could see when it comes to uh, increases in wages, given that we are starting to see retail spending, consumer spending start to lag a bit, at least from uh, what many Wall Street analysts have been expecting? Well, we just got wage data for the uh, month of February, which one month behind this jobs report. But the wage data showed that we saw wages rise eight-tenths of a percent, a very strong performance during the month of February. So the question is, does that continue? When I have talked to Fed officials in recent weeks, they talk to CEOs in their district who are telling them that it is getting easier to find people, but they are still offering higher wages than they used to. The question is the second round. Do they need to keep going higher in order to keep people with the quit rate that high? It is a possibility. And I guess there's a question as well about whether there's demand for, I guess, uh, maybe I'm terming this the wrong way, the right kinds of jobs, because it seems like there's been a lot of hiring lately in you know, transportation, manufacturing, the uh, goods side of the payrolls ledger, and services have been lagging a bit. We have seen services come back in the last month or so. Particularly last month, we saw 161,000 people come back into the leisure and hospitality category, which is mostly restaurants and bars. Hotels are still trying to staff up, uh, but we'll see if that continues. Uh, that was That's one of the most customer-facing jobs out there, and so if you are afraid of COVID, uh, you don't necessarily want to go right back to work. But now as people uh, have to, as the COVID danger goes down and people go back to restaurants, they're so far being able to find people in the last month or so. I mean, that's got to be a big consideration for the Fed, isn't it, about whether we're really coming out of the uh, pandemic recovery here. If we do start to see more employment coming on the services side, I mean, that's what a lot of uh, Fed watchers are looking for, isn't it? It is, and the Fed is too. They would like to see strong growth. Their forecast, which most Wall Street economists dismiss, is that they'll be able to raise interest rates over the next three years and unemployment won't change. Uh, The idea of raising interest rates is to raise unemployment a little bit. But as long as the labor market stays strong, then it's going to be a question of what you have to pay people to keep it that way. If it can stay strong, that helps the economy avoid recession and helps create the soft landing scenario the Fed looks for. Only about 30 seconds left here, Mike. How big a deal is this report for the Fed? I mean, we've got one more before the next decision, right? 
Actually, we don't. Uh, the way oh. the calendar works out, the next Fed decision after this is going to be two days after, uh, two days ahead of the jobs report. So this is the last jobs report they'll see. They're more interested in the trend. They've kind of told us what they're planning to do. All right, Mike McKee, our Bloomberg Economics correspondent with us ahead of the March payrolls report due out 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time. We will have, as always, full coverage here on Bloomberg Radio. Karen. Nathan, thank you. It is 5.53 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Law Report. We get to the legal stories we're watching this morning from Bloomberg's Jeff Bellinger. A new law in Washington state makes rideshare drivers for companies like Uber and Lyft eligible for some benefits, but the workers will still not have employee status. In Maryland, a bill granting workers up to 12 weeks of paid time off every year for family or medical needs was passed by lawmakers and sent to the governor. A Texas appeals court ruled that Union Pacific Railroad must face a property damage and personal injury lawsuit over alleged exposure to a chemical released into a Houston neighborhood. Bloomberg Law. Everything you need, all on one legal research platform, including guidance, analysis, and Bloomberg Market Intelligence. Find out more at BloombergLaw.com. All right, thanks, Jeff. Now another legal story we're watching brings us to the Supreme Court, where a pair of cases could test the expansion of a workplace arbitration. The decisions will have ripple effects on disputes involving Amazon, the gig economy, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. At least nine lower federal court cases have been paused, waiting for the decisions in these cases. For more, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks to Emery Selye, a professor at Loyola University, New Orleans College of Law. Tell me about the importance of this case together with another case that was heard this week and the ripple effects of these cases. So there are 60 million arbitration agreements in the American workplace today. And this means that you have limited procedural protections if you want to assert any claim involving your employment. And these tend to be confidential proceedings. And so arbitration in the past has been used to cover up a lot of widespread wrongdoing. We have two employment arbitration cases heard this term. And the Supreme Court is uh, defining the contours of when is workplace arbitration appropriate. There are several cases that are being held awaiting a decision here. Yes, that's correct. Some lower courts place their uh, decisions on hold so these employment cases can run their course. So the Federal Arbitration Act exempts transportation workers. They're not covered. They can't be forced to arbitrate under federal law. And so there are a lot of lower court cases that have been put on hold involving arguable transportation workers to see how will the Supreme Court rule in these cases? You know, what will be the final say as to the scope of workplace arbitration? And this is a big deal with the gig economy. You can argue that some truck drivers, that some delivery drivers, that they are considered transportation workers, and so they should be exempt from arbitration agreements under the federal law. Would you say that usually at the Supreme Court, arbitration wins out. Yes, that has been the track record for the past 40 or 50 years. However, in 2019, there was one worker's victory in a case called New Prime v. Oliveira, and I never expected to see that coming. And so there's a glimmer of hope for workers here, but the past track record is not really good for workers the last 40 or 50 years. And this Viking Rivers case here is just one of several cases this term involving arbitration. There are actually five total arbitration cases being heard, which is unusual. The court has heard like one or two or three a year. And I believe the court has an interest in promoting arbitration. Arbitration is like a safety valve or an overcrowded judicial docket. It's like every case that gets sent to arbitration is one less case the courts have to hear. And I think 
the justices have an interest in trying to keep arbitration fine-tuned and working well. That's Emery Selye, a professor at Loyola University, New Orleans College of Law, speaking with Bloomberg student Grasso. Catch more of that interview, plus analysis of the latest legal news by listening to the Bloomberg Law Show at 10 p.m. Eastern Time or subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com. And futures this morning are higher. S&P futures up about 23 points. And our top stories are straight ahead on Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.